Hello, welcome back um, to another interview. Um, today I have with me Amanda and Amanda and I met a long time ago on social media, like somehow I think through the yoga world, we finally traced it back to, and she is now a Montessori school teacher and has just started her own school. And so I'm just really excited to talk to her today because I think like I've always loved Montessori, but I don't know all of the ins and outs of it. Um, and I think so many of us can learn so much from like the principles and a lot of the like tactics that she knows. She's a wealth of knowledge. So welcome, Amanda. And if thanks you for like, having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. If you want to just tell like a little bit about yourself and your family and your new business, your new school, like all of it. Yeah. Um, so like Taylor said, my name's Amanda. Um, and I have three children, which is why we started this interview a bit past the time that we said that we were, because <laughs> I was getting my 19 month old nursing nursling to sleep always, you know, you think that, that they're out for the night and then you're like, Oh, actually, no, they Never. were just comfortable with me. Um, <laughs> Never. <laughs> I, every night, every night. So I've got a 19 month old and then I've got a five and a half year old and uh, I have a nine year old, uh, the five and a half year old, that half is really important. So she is five and a half. She's not five. Oh my God. She's five and a half. Um, and we live over here in Brookside. Um, with our um, Australian Shepherd. And we've also got a cat that is somewhere uh, to be found usually. And um, yeah, so I'm gonna take these earrings out. I love earrings, but they always aggravate me whenever they click around on the, my um, uh, AirPods. Uh, so we live over in Brookside. Um, I love the neighborhood because I love being able to walk to things. I love walking on the trolley trail. Gosh, like all the restaurants and cafes, like I could get in trouble. So many wonderful things over here. Um, and we also love being in nature, uh, kind of close to Swope Park, um, which is our favorite place to hike and find way too many nature treasures. I was looking in the backyard um, after resetting our space for the day and I saw um, a few snail shells that they found uh, when we're hiking and I'm like, oh, I should pick those up. The toddlers are going to pick those and be like, oh, yum, let me <laughs> stick this uh, shell in my mouth right away. But you know, like we can't really blame them. Like it has a beautiful, like smooth texture. Like you should probably feel, see how it feels in your mouth. Right. So you can right. get to know it. Um, yeah. So we love being outside. We love going to the Brookside Farmer's Market. Um, we've been super busy because uh, we're in the process of getting our little school licensed. Um, in the past, uh, I taught at Montessori school for about five years. Uh, and that's actually where I met my now husband at. Um, I would work in the afternoons as a helper in the primary classroom and sometime in the top, sometimes in the toddler classroom as well. Um, I really like the toddler classroom for an amount of time, but my heart is really in the primary classroom. And my husband has always been about the toddlers. He loves their energy. Um, mm -hmm. They're goofy, you know, uh, they're always trying different things. And I feel like uh, my husband can relate to them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he can really relate to them. Um, so yeah, so I started, I worked there for about five years and um, while I was teaching yoga in schools and early childhood centers. And that was really neat to see, um, even as somebody that has a passion for Montessori, it was really cool to see the different styles of education and how they interpret that. 
Um, and then COVID happened. And uh, so I stopped teaching at some places uh, and I was invited to join uh, a board for an early childhood center called Birdsall House. And they're a Reggio based school in the Midtown area. Um, and uh, would teach, you know, virtual classes here and there during COVID. And I started an in-home program. I tried to uh, I post on Facebook, like, oh, does anybody want to do, you know, like a trade where I could watch your children and you can watch mine and we do educational activities. And I didn't really get any bites on that. And then when, as soon as I was like, okay, it's this cost and these are the hours. And if you're going to join, then like, you can be uh, unmasked with us and like close family members, but like, that's it. Unless if you're outside. And I had more people than, uh, than I could accept. And I really loved it. Um, we got a lot of the traditional Montessori works to start. And <clears throat> then I just found myself like spending at least $100 every month on more and more materials. I just couldn't get enough of them. Right. Um, and uh, I really loved it. And uh, then we had our second child or third, third child, excuse me, our third child after I did that for about a year and um, took some time off. And then uh some people in the neighborhood were like, oh, you know, we're on a wait list for Montessori school. Like, would you be able to be our, you know, interim person? I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. And so I found myself, you know, being like drawn back into that world. And then um, this school year, I started uh, a program that was like a few mornings a week. And um, a lot of people were interested, but they were wanting more hours than what I could provide as one person. Um, I'm sure everybody's heard about teacher burnout and like the amount of time that we spend like cutting things, laminating things, gluing things, like color coding things, cleaning, uh, buying snacks, vacuuming I up all the imagine. <laughs> So much time. And if you're one person, like you can't really do those things when the children are there because you're with the children, right? Um, and uh, then my husband was going through a transition at his work. And one day he randomly said, um, what if I help you with, with what you're doing? And I was like, I don't know what that means, help you. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> And I was like, well, you can't really help me. Like people are relying on me. So like, if I'm going to expand then like, you have to do this, <laughs> like you can't just do this to help out and, and then not do it anymore. And I was like, second of all, um, for us to charge rates that are reflective of the thousands of dollars of materials that we have in every single classroom. And that's reflective of my now seven years experience. We have to be licensed. And third of all, um, if we want to have this be our thing, we have to get licensed anyways, because we can only have six children without being licensed. Um, and if you're having a toddler classroom and a primary classroom, you're going to want to have more than six children because that's just, you know, three and, and three. And then if you have children that are sick, then all of a sudden your classes are really small and Montessori mm -hmm. thrives on that, that community aspect. Um, mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get licensed. And I was like, okay, well, like you'll be handyman because that's not I'll put together Ikea furniture, but that's the extent of my handy um, person-ness. Uh, <laughs> that's it. And I might try to pawn that off on him. And I was also like, well, you can look into all the requirements and you can fill out the boring paperwork. Um, I had already had like handbooks that I would give out to the parents. And I was like, well, I can tweak this to um, have it meet licensing requirements. Uh, you know, add the things that we need to add in like our different safety plans and our nutritional plans and things like that. And um, we started that process um, in March and I posted in, I think, three different childcare groups um, once every three days. And um, we quickly had more interviews than uh, family interviews than what we had spaces because um, they did already have a few children 
that were coming. And so we set up a big interview weekend a few weeks after because we wanted to, um, our toddler space was, um, it was more just for our own child. And the primary classroom was pretty set up. Primary is ages um, three to six, but the toddler classroom didn't have as much stuff because it was just my son and he had, uh, there's another a two-year-old that would come over. Um, so we needed some time to kind of, you know, uh, purchase materials and get them set up and everything. Um, and uh, yeah, we really quickly got um, most of the children signed up. And then um, we filled uh, the last pre-licensing spot, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And uh, we are now just in the heart of you know, having our classes every day and our school program. And um, we are, should be licensed. Originally we thought early summer, but we have some exciting home renovations that we're gonna be doing to meet um, fire uh, marshal standards. So it's gonna be more towards the end of the summer. Um, Cause if you have uh, older houses, you have to have sprinklers installed in your basement. So that's, oh that God. was a fun, a fun surprise. I didn't know about <laughs> And uh, that's a job for a contractor. All sure. the little things. Yep, it is. And we actually have one really exciting renovation in my classroom uh, that will help us have more nature, but I'm not ready to announce what that is yet because I haven't announced it to our families. We're waiting on uh, some different uh, information from our contractor and then I'll, and then I'm sure I'll make a ma mass announcement. Um, so my husband is the toddler teacher and I'm the primary teacher. So it's really kind of funny and fun and neat to be like, this is how we met. Uh, like six years ago and like now we're doing it in our in our own home and um, loving it it's really great when you have two people because I think it solves a lot of those issues that you have um, in schools when it's just one teacher per class like we are able to you know keep our classroom a lot tidier whenever we have two people because whenever it's recess time we can kind of switch off for um, resetting the classroom um because that can be quite uh, time consuming, uh, energetically time uh, on a heart level, <laughs> constantly resetting things. Um, so gosh, we've just honestly been loving it. Um, I have been spending so much time uh, in the evenings and on the weekends, going to thrift stores and finding, you know, baskets and uh, actually was laminating uh, earlier tonight and I had to stop only because I ran out of laminating sheets. Um, <laughs> I've been laminating, uh, they call them pink, blue and green series and it's for um, reading. And mm. uh, so it works systemically through uh, phonics and then, uh, you know, the, you know, sat, uh, what do they call it? Bossy E or silent E and, uh, you know, the phonograms and fun things like that. So um, yeah, just honestly really happy with um, the families that are in the program and um, the things that we get to bring into our house. Um, I think Montessori is gorgeous. So I love looking around and I love seeing all the materials that are made out of, you know, wood or wicker. I mean, there are some plastics, um, but it's usually uh, if it's plastic, like it has a reason, you know, behind it. Like maybe it's for an, a tray of artwork that a child might be doing or waterwork. Um, and I love the beauty that it brings into our life. Just this morning, um, we have a gorgeous lilac uh, bush in our backyard. And um, I was giving the children a demonstration, my class a demonstration on um, lilacs uh, uh, and flower, or fl uh, excuse me, flower arranging. And we were talking about um, the importance of beauty and how beauty is good for our hearts and how it's good for our minds and how it's good for our bodies. And it helps to keep, it's one way that uh, besides, you know, uh, 
moving our bodies and eating, you know, foods that make our bodies feel happy. That beauty is another thing that's really important. And um, we want to protect that beauty. And yes, we are. Uh, we talked about the difference between we have tons of plants and we talked about how we have plants in our classroom and how, well, this is a flower that, you know, we cut this flower and since it can't be in the earth anymore, this is going to die after a week. So like, it's important that whenever we're cutting flowers, we're picking the flowers that we find are most beautiful or that we the most perfect for a space. And that when we're holding the flower that we're treating it with kindness and respect um, because we did just essentially kill a flower to bring beauty in our classroom. So we need to make sure that we're using our kind, careful hands. So the flower and the arrangement is as absolutely gorgeous as it can be. Mm. Um, and when we look you know, in our classroom and we see the things of beauty that it can bring a smile to our face and it can help us remember um, the work that we did to create that beauty and to keep that beauty. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that we did today that uh, I was just like, gosh, this is such a lovely uh a lovely experience. And, um, you know, we yeah. have real artwork in our classrooms. Um, uh, my classroom actually just bought, we got a piece last first Friday and it's from my favorite artist. So it makes me so happy to be able to look and see uh, my favorite artists and just be like, wow, these children, like they're getting, you know, they're getting fresh flowers and they're getting organic food and food from the farmer's market. And they're getting like art and they're having all these beautiful things. That's really like growing their soul. Cause I think sometimes, um, you know, daycare sometimes miss that piece that the importance of beauty and like how it does have that good effect on your nervous system mm -hmm. and on your mind. And it just helps you like, you know, it's like yoga. Instead of being like kind of overstimulated and like, it's like, yes. Yeah. Cause when, mm -hmm. yeah. whenever we only see bright colors, a lot of times it makes us feel a lot of feelings and there are ways to do bright colors to where it's really beautiful. But if you just have a whole space, that's only full of plastic and is only full of your primary colors that can really feel kind of like a lot because um, mm -hmm. there's not really an intention behind it and it's not feeding you know our need for physical touch and especially for um, you know babies and toddlers most of their nerve endings are in their mouth so they're going to be putting everything in their mouth to really experience it mm -hmm. but if you only give them plastic you know they're really missing out on uh, you know the bumpiness of a you know a big acorn or um we have some large shells that we might uh, help them pass around. They're missing on, you know, the interesting grooves in a shell or um, the woven texture in our work rugs. Um, yeah. So I think those things are, are really important. Yeah. I just think your story is so cool because it's almost like it, it just like happened so organically and it was just like, yeah, we're like filling a need that you saw. And like, obviously with like, COVID requiring a need and then like your husband joining in and like I, I just think it's so cool not only how you guys kind of came to be doing what you're doing now but also how you it's it's a true example of how like you're doing motherhood your way and like we were doing this already and we also need an income. So like, this is how we're going to make it work. And this looks so non-traditional from so many people's lives, but we're going to do it anyways. And we're going to make it work. And I just think that that's really cool. Um, okay. Thank so you. for those, for people that don't understand what Montessori is, like, I know that that term is more and more common lately. And I don't know that people actually know what it is. Like what is yeah, it? And that's such a good point because, um, Instagram is great, right? And Pinterest is great. But like we see, 
these things. And we think that it is Montessori, like behind me, um, you know, you can see this, this shelf, right? And you can see like, okay, things are divided and there's a shelf there and things are divided and they have a tray, right? So like, that must be something then color, you know, was chosen with intention. It wasn't just willy nilly and there's textures. And like, so we think that, okay, Montessori is, is shelves with things on trays and it is, but it's also a lot more than pretty shelves and pretty trays. And I'm the first one to admit, I love a gorgeous shelfie. Uh, that's what we call them in Montessori. It's a shelfie. I love seeing <laughs> uh, things organized. It makes my heart so happy. Um, Montessori is a lot of things. I think, um, the main thing that it, some of the main things is um, it's a peace education. Uh, Dr. Montessori talks about how um, uh, that the greatest aim of education is peace. Um, she started this at the turn of the century. Uh, and um, interesting enough, actually, she started in a, a school for children with special needs. And at the time, there just wasn't a lot for the children to do. Um, and she saw another person bringing like small trinkets, like blocks of wood, things like that. And she saw how the children naturally did different things with them. Um, and she was inspired to create an environment that would have allow them to have that same piece. Um, and then uh, she actually became pregnant uh, by one of the people that worked there and they made uh, this love pact. And they said, um, you know, we won't reveal the father uh, or the identity because she actually said she went away for a while and she said, oh, my distant family member had uh, a child because, uh, you know, back in the turn of century, you know, I don't know what would happen to you if you're an unwed mother, but like nothing good. Um, so she said, uh, you know, we'll just say that this is my niece or whatever, and we won't reveal the identity. And because of that, they also said, okay, we'll never like love another person or marry another person. And the man did, and um, her heart was broken. So she took this piece that she created for these children with special needs and said, okay, well, I'm going to move this into schools um, for children that are not children with special needs. And she took some of those same ideas and some of her same observations into helping the children find peaceful and purposeful work. Um, so that's why whenever we do see Montessori shelfies, um, that's why we have a tray because each tray um, has a specific purpose and it is, uh, everything about it is supposed to be peaceful. Like um, here we have, here's one of our trays um, and it looks pretty simple in our toddler classroom, but it's two containers and it's a plastic tray um, and it's for waterworks. That's why we have plastic. So our set reasoning here is the teacher would give you water and the child would um, pour from left to right, since we read from left to right. Um, so in this way, this tray has a very specific purpose. And um, by the child finding the purpose, we find a lot of peace um, by filling out, by, uh, you know, meeting uh, the expectation of the tray. And, um, you know, then some people say, well, oh, isn't like Montessori kind of like, um, doesn't shut off their creativity? Uh, yes, it could if you are not in a well-rounded school, there is a whole long list of uh, materials that every classroom should have. And um, like, it's supposed to encompass all wide variety of skills. So that a toddler in the toddler classroom or a preschooler or kindergartner in the primary classroom or an elementary child would have a wide variety of choices. So they're fitting um, that need. So in our toddler classroom, um, in a true Montessori, I hate saying true, but if a Montessori school or classroom is following AMS guidelines, you have a lot of movement materials. So like mm -hmm. behind us, you know, we have our 
Pickler triangle for climbing. We have a trampoline for jumping. We have that little wavy board that can be turned over um, so that it's rocking. We have um, a sit and spin. Those are Montessori. I forget what they're called, like vestibular board, I guess is what they call them at the, the turn of the century. Oh, um, we do not have a sandbox because that's uh, goes against licensing. And also, I think that's kind of kind of bothers me. We have a lot of cats. In the such a mess. <laughs> yeah, but we do we do sensory bins because um, what you're looking for is that resistance. Um, so in that way, the children are able to find peace and meaning. Um, another thing that is really crucial in Montessori is not just peace and meaning through the work, but it's also finding a focus. So in Montessori, they talk about the work cycle. Um, whenever a child is like actual preschool age, so, you know, fours, um, fives, depending on where their kindergarten cutoff is, their work cycle is three hours. Um, whenever they are three uh, or two and a half, their work cycle might be, you know, an hour, two hours, something like that. And toddlers, you know, it's, it is what it is. It might maybe they have interest for an hour and then, uh, okay, that's done. So we're going to go outside uh, or we're going to have some circle time and get out the play silks and the musical instruments. Um, so in that, as you're progressing through your different amounts of work cycles, the children are choosing works off the shelf that are relevant to their development and they're putting the things back. They're finding that purpose, but they're also finding focus. And um, that's really hard as people, as adults, especially um, if you're an entrepreneurial uh, person uh, or a private contractor, like, or when you have deadlines, like, okay, I'm really bored. I don't actually want to do this. Or like, I've got a big deadline um, or, oh gosh, I just started my workday. Like, what do I do? And uh, Dr. Montessori actually set up work cycles to help children do that inner work of like, okay, I am feeling uh, grumpy right now. How do I find my work? What do I do whenever I'm grumpy? Like maybe instead of working on my letters, maybe I should go over to the water work and I should find some water work instead. It's teaching them to really listen to their bodies. Just like hopefully if you've learned those skills as a child and hopefully as an adult, you might realize like, oh crap, like I've got a deadline. Um, that I have to meet, but like, you know what, maybe I could go for a five minute walk first to help my mind get set for this task. Um, mm. there's also a phase that they talk about. She says like, it should be, um, like first there's a lot of activity, you know, as all the children come in the class and they find their work and then, um, they're doing, you know, works that are maybe, uh, kind of challenging for them. And then they find what they call is the great work. That's the work that has the most focus. And then, you know, it goes, down and then they call it the false false boredom it's not a sense it's not a they're not saying it in a mean way but it's more of like you feel like you're bored but actually what you're feeling is hungry or it's tired or it's I need to move my body so it looks like children might be getting into materials or misusing materials when actually that's an opportunity for the child to work through what do I do whenever I'm feeling these feelings same thing whenever we as adults are working like okay gosh like I just did a really big, you know, I've completed a really big project and I've still got work to do, but like, I don't want to do it. What do I do? So we learn those lessons in the classroom and then hopefully we, our hearts have learned it and our hands have learned it and our minds have learned it. So whenever we're adults, we can take those lessons over um, into adulthood. Um, and then, you know, they work through that, that false boredom. And then, you know, they usually have like, uh, you know, closing activity. And then there's some more cluster of activity as they're, you know, putting their things away and getting ready for lunch or recess. Um, so those are some of the things that we, um, work through. We also talk about in Montessori, um, 
It's a word that we use called normalization. Uh, and it sounds very offensive. Like, well, why would I want my child to be normal? Like, I want my child to be exceptional, right? That's what we all want for our children. Um, and Dr. Montessori talks about um, normalization is um, the ability for a child to find purpose and intention in their time. And uh, Dr. Montessori talks about like that push and that pull that like sometimes whenever children start a program, they might have a lot of feelings about it and kind of be dragging their feet or expressing those feelings to you. And that um, obviously, first of all, you found a safe environment for your child. That's really important. Uh, and once you feel that your space is safe, that you need to allow your child to feel those feelings um, because the space is already going to be set up for them to find their peace and to find their work. Um, and that as we continue to allow the child the freedom to choose work in their classroom, that they are able to find peace um, and that intention. And they say that, um, you know, even, you know, it's that consistency that's important. So in the home, we can help our children have normalization by simply, if your child is into trains, make sure they have trains and leave them alone. Let them have their train time. <laughs> if your child is into baking, get them some cookbooks and some ingredients and make sure that several times throughout the week, they are having time where you're leaving them absolutely alone. Um, that was one of the topics that we covered in uh, in our parent drop-off space. We have a coffee tea bar and there's like a, in a bulletin board, there's like a monthly uh, Montessori note. And it talked a lot about normalization of like, how can we help our children find their peace and their joy in their space? Well, it also goes in the home of like, find out what your child is interested in them, give them the materials and leave them alone. Um, because if we're constantly interjecting, it's really hard for them to find, uh, you know, well, maybe they thought their train looked really good, but then you rebuilt it. And now that child doesn't feel confident in their own ability uh, to do those things. Or, you know, maybe in cooking, maybe, um, you know, we try to interject. Well, you know what, if a child makes something that is not delicious, they're going to learn and you could lovingly, uh, you know, offer some suggestions, you know, after their cake uh, tastes a little bit different, like, oh, I wonder if next time we could do this uh, instead. Um, so that's another uh, thing that's really important in Montessori is uh, normalization. So the focus, focus in the work cycle, normalization, um, finding that peace and that intention behind um, the work cycle or behind the, um, behind your works. Um, and really, I would say, like, if I thought of the heart of Montessori, I mean, that is what I would tell a parent is the heart of the Montessori. Like, yes, we have gorgeous trays and all these trays um, have a specific reason. Um, and the teacher has already like been pouring over the AMS Montessori list because it does include um, essentially everything that a child would need for the, that development. Um, but it's honestly just so much more than that. If you look at Pinterest, if you look at Instagram, you see all these like trendy things, you know, how um, they talk about how Play-Doh is good for squeezing your hands. It is. And Dr. Montessori also said that uh, at the turn of the century that children need to have clay. Well, I think she said clay at the time because I don't think Play-Doh was a thing, but she would say, you know, uh, modeling clay is important and she would have children use chopsticks um, because that's another thing that's really important. So if you're looking to implement Montessori in the home, I would um, absolutely encourage you to look at different skills lists for um, your child's age. And I would encourage you to think of how can I isolate this skill into a tray to where this tray has a purpose. So perhaps instead of giving your child a bin of Play-Doh stuff that is potentially going to be thrown, <laughs> might be thrown if you have a toddler, will be thrown. Uh, or, uh, you know, maybe it's hard for the older children, it's hard for them to pick. Instead of doing that, um, our Play-Doh trays here for a toddler community are really simple. We have... Um, 
Play-Doh in a bag because they know how to open the bags and we have a rolling pin and we did have better knives, but uh, sometimes our toddler friends like to walk away with things and I'm sure I'll find that better knife sometime, <laughs> maybe in the couch. So think about the skills and see, think about how you could isolate. Well, what is that still even for? Like, is it for, you know, in our toddler group, it's for fine motor skills, right? Um, and in our preschoolers, it's also for fine motor skills, but um, maybe you're also trying to find seasonal awareness. So if you're thinking about, okay, I want to invite the seasons in because uh, preschoolers aren't able to understand time, but they can't understand routines. You know, maybe your tray would have a rolling pin and Play-Doh and maybe um, some flower cookie cutters, you know, or um, maybe in the wintertime, maybe you've scented your Play-Doh like uh, pine trees. Um, so think about how you could isolate it. Um, if you're thinking about, okay, well, we want to work on our skill is working on your letters, right? A lot of people are, you know, focused on kindergarten readiness, um, which is such an interesting phrase, you know, how can we actually be ready for, for anything? It's more than, than just worksheets, right? Mm. So if we're thinking about, you know, a skill of like writing, well, is it actually holding the pencil and is it making it look beautiful? Probably not because their hands look like little aliens at that point and their bones are really spread apart. It's understanding what the letter looks like and sort of imitating it. So, you know, you could have a workbook and I'm not saying that's bad, but another idea is, could you have a box of salt and could you have a letter next to it that then they could trace it with their finger? Because really what we're looking for is letter and sound awareness. We're not necessarily looking for beautiful penmanship. It does get more and more beautiful the more that they practice, um, you know, or uh, instead of, you know, workbook is fine, but instead of a workbook, could you also have a dry erase board and could you have a letter, one letter for them to copy and could you have a marker and then they could trace one letter at a time. So instead of having this workbook that they probably would need a lot of assistance, you could then switch it into, okay, then the child can do this by having a tray and it's a very isolated thing and they're mm -hmm. able to find their piece by, this is literally the only thing, if I pick up this tray, this is literally the only thing that I'm doing is I'm only writing this letter. Um, so simple things like that, you know, it takes, uh, it takes small tweaks. There's always a lot of great stuff on Pinterest, but I, I want adults to know that like, you don't have to do everything on your Pinterest board. You know, <laughs> look up a few skills, look up a few skills that you'd like for your child to do. And, um, and think of how, could you make five to 10 trays? Uh, maybe your child could have, you know, a little work period in the morning or, you know, maybe you work in the morning. So maybe, you know, on the weekends, could they have a little bit of time in the morning? Cause that morning is really, uh, it's the peak. It's, you know, we're, we're really fresh in the mornings after nap, you know, it's, when do we get up from nap? Who knows? <laughs> Are we all grumpy at that point? Did nap, did nap happen? Are we hungry? Do we need to get outside? Probably yes. So that's it's what so I interesting because I'm even hearing you talk earlier about like the entrepreneurial mind and like finding the focus and the isolated skills. I'm like, that does sound like all things that would benefit me as an adult. Like had I learned that as a child and I did not go to Montessori school, but I do struggle with those things now of like, I mean, even just you saying like, you can find your peace by like this one task is in front of you and you're only doing that one thing. Whereas, I mean, I'm thinking about myself in the entrepreneurial space. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to yes. that one time. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like almost like as adults. Almost as adults, I'm like, we should have trays in our office. Yeah, tray could have. I'm like, can I make a tray for my work schedule? Yeah. Yes, like we can make trays, or a significant other, a friend could make like different trays for us. Like, okay, like you have this paper to write, so like here's your pencil, and like here's your research book or your tablet, and like here's your paper. Like, get to it. Nothing else. Tunnel vision. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like. You have to you have to finish the work before you put it away, or like else you put your name tag by it, and then you get a snack, or you go to the bathroom, or you get a drink, and then you come back to your work mm-hmm. and you take your name tag off. So, yeah, I resonate with that um with that deeply. And I actually am like, gosh, actually, I I don't have trays for myself, but I will say that uh I've been working on getting my classroom up to AMS uh, material standards, and I've actually noticed that I do I separate out my different materials that I'm laying different stacks. I'm like, I almost uh, subconsciously made my own little work trays. Yeah. <laughs> it's in its own little piles and it's separated out. And um, it's very hard for me whenever my piles become undone by my toddler that I'm like, ah, and I'm like, gosh, this must how, be how um, children feel like whenever another child comes over to their tray and like gets into it. Oh uh, yeah. Really frustrating. <laughs> Yeah. I'm wondering if you could, and I'm just like throwing this question at you. Like I did not prep you for this, but what yeah. what are some common misconceptions about what children are supposed to be able to do at maybe say that like toddler preschooler kind of time frame developmentally, yeah. like we expect them to do, but like they're not they shouldn't necessarily be able to do like even you just saying like somebody messing up your tray like I've heard all different kinds of thoughts about like sharing and how sharing is actually not something that is like normal for kids to know how to do so I'm like curious what you would say about that oh yes this is a great question I love it um yeah sharing is like no you know like um if I had like uh, the Croy, like I wouldn't just expect like my family to be like, oh, actually, I'm going to take that right now and bring it all. Like, yeah, sharing, sharing, absolutely. Like, but honestly, I would say that for sharing is like inappropriate for like all ages. Like as adults, we just learn like whenever it's socially acceptable, like we could ask our husband, our, our girlfriend or our significant other for a bite of their food, right? But like, you wouldn't ask a stranger or like a classmate for a bite of food. Yeah, sharing totally like unexpected. But like, why do we no. expect kids to just, oh, you have to share? It's like everybody's like, oh, share, share, share. And I'm like, but actually, like, they're not like, I wouldn't just want to share something that somebody randomly walked up to me and just took from me. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> sharing absolutely inappropriate um, to expect. Um, in Montessori, we would, you know, in the toddler community, we would say, you know, that's so-and-so's work. And we'd be like, oh, let me pick you up and help you find another work. Or let's go over here and find another work. Distraction, you know, that's what you can do with toddlers and even young children. And, you know, whenever they do get to age four and five, you know, um, same thing, you know, oh, that's so-and-so's work. Let's go find something else. Um, and letting them feel their feelings whenever they're upset. Cause it's like, oh, like, you know, uh, Sage had this really cool laugh in her Play-Doh and I wanted to do that. And like, I tell the children all the time, like, it's okay to feel sad. You can feel sad. And, you know, I can also give you hugs, but it's okay to feel sad and to feel frustrated. Um, So yeah, sharing, absolutely inappropriate um, on all levels. Um, Sitting and being quiet, uh, Mm -hmm. very inappropriate expectation. Um, 
A teacher told me a while ago and it really stuck with me because I was trying to get some children to walk through a hallway. And she's like, well, they don't want to because it's boring. You have to make it interesting. Um, we cannot expect children to sit still and to be quiet. Um, it's our job as parents, as teachers, as you know, aunts and uncles to make something interesting. If you want to read a book to a child, then first of all, did you want to read it or were they actually interested in it? Like right. something that they are interested in, do it in an interesting way. Like you have to be an actor and actress sometimes with young ages. Um, and uh, then that translates into whenever I have my fours, you know, we're giving a perfect example of, um, well, you know, sometimes it is something that they need to do, like they need to work on their product skills, you know? Um, and so what I might tell them is, you know, they're fidgeting and stuff. And, um, you know, what I might tell them is, um, this is my favorite classroom management skill. Okay, I'll know that we're ready for our next turn when I can see that eyes are looking at the mat or looking at me and our hands are resting on our lap or on our sides, or um, on our knees. And, and then I'll say, oh, I see, you know, two friends are ready. I see three friends are ready. Oh, it looks like everybody's ready. Okay, so I can pick a next turn. Um, and so we can talk about that, you know, being ready. Um, and then the um, that interest piece is there is because, well, there's going to be another turn that's going to happen. And then we can also talk about like, oh, you know, I thought that we were wanting to read because we saw these um, these books over here that we were really wanting to read. And if we're going to want to read, we need to keep working on our, on our CBC, on our pink series so that we can read the words in this book. Or um, uh, with my middle child, her motivation is she wants to learn how to cook. So if she's fidgeting, you know, then I'll say, you know, I'll know that you're ready when I can see that your body, you know, your hands are resting and you'll be ready for a turn because then you really know that you really want to learn how to read so that you can be cooking this summer. Um, so yeah, children should, you should not expect children to be still or quiet. Uh, it is our job to make it interesting to them. Or to just scrap that activity and be like, okay, <laughs> that was really boring. That was really boring. Terrible idea. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I realize that really quickly. Um, other misconceptions is um, big pet peeve of mine is um, time and time again, phonics. Phonics always wins. Uh, there's an article that I read recently that said, um, you know, we knew that phonics won, but then we said, oh, let's do, um, what do they call it? Uh, predictive text where it's like, I like cats. It has a picture of a cat. I like dogs. And then next, you know, has a picture of a dog. And well, what they're finding out is actually the children didn't know how to read. They were just good guessers. They learn the first sentence and then they look at the picture. And yeah. I see that with children whenever they read phonics books because they are looking at the pictures. And I'm like, oh, uh, you said, you know, uh, Mag or Mag petted the cat, but like that doesn't start with a pot. That starts with a s. So it must be. And then I see the next letter is an N. And what's that last letter? And then I'll be like, yes, the pictures are are confusing sometimes. We can look at the pictures, but we follow with our finger to see what the sounds are. And then we'll explain the picture. Um, so a lot of people think that, um, you know, they teach reading in different ways. And people think, uh, I guess the myth is that the alphabet song is important. No, it's not important. That's not the end all. Uh, in Montessori, we actually teach the sounds first. Um, so that would look like um, I have my basket of miniature objects um, and we call them I spy. So I might take out uh, cell phonics space. So I wouldn't have an ice cream, but I might have an igloo. So I would say I spy in igloo. And then we would take, I would take out the igloo. And then I might say I spy a s snake. And, you know, we take out the objects and we really overemphasize the first sound. Um, and uh, then the child, you know, we might set out four objects. Can you spy a s or can you spy, spy an mm? 
And um, so in Montessori, we actually don't really teach the name of the letter until after they already have the sound uh, awareness with each letter, because honestly, the name of the letter is not as important as the actual sound is when we're reading. We're not saying the name of each letter. We're saying the name of each sound to mm-hmm. form the individual words. We will eventually sing the alphabet song, but um, in Montessori, it would be um, the phonics based one. So it'd be uh, apple, apple, ah, 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 banana, banana, ba, ba, ba. And then you could move on down and it doesn't always have to be apple, but it's usually what comes to most people's minds. So yeah, mm. alpha, the importance of knowing your alphabet. Um, I would say that's a myth. Scrap that. Think about the actual reason behind it as well. We're trying to learn the sounds and find ways to teach the sounds in like really fun ways. Uh, some mm. children do like worksheets and it's fine to have worksheets, but try to also think about um, that real uh, aspect. Because thing that Montessori does is to keep a tree like real and intentional. It uses a lot of real things. So you know, we do what we can sometimes. We do have cartoon pictures of things. Um, but if you can, try to get a picture of, you know, a real apple or a real tree instead of cartoons. And um, I have, you know, a few things in my classroom that are pictures instead of the real thing. So we do what we can. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, nobody's going to be like, oh, that's not real. Well, somebody might be like, well, that's not real Montessori. But <laughs> you know what, if they are, then I'd say that they're not real Montessori because <laughs> they're not getting the, uh, the heart of it. Um, I would also say, um, Handwriting, you know, I think that's a myth too. Uh, we now know that children's bones are spaced out really far until they're that's seven. Super interesting. And uh, yeah, so really what we're looking for um, in toddlers and preschoolers and even kindergartners is you want to strengthen those hand muscles. So anything that's squeezing, um, let me actually grab some of my squeezing trays from the other classroom. So um, instead of thinking about handwriting, you want to think about squeezing skills um, because you're getting that uh, strong hand muscles. And instead of um, introducing pencils, we do it in a different way. So for um, toddlers, we have a sponge bowl. So you would literally have a sponge in a bowl and then the teacher would give a little bit of water and like one drop of soap. So the child is putting it in here, squeezing it over the bowls. We don't have water everywhere. And then they're wiping. And then they're putting it in again, they're squeezing it. So they're getting their hands muscles strong uh, in the toddler age with our sponge bowl. Um, or I showed you all just like a simple Play-Doh tray. That's really important. Um, that would also carry over into, you've got a two and a half, a three and a four year old. Uh, you could also have the sponge bowl. And then you could have a few other things. Um, call these, what are they called? Pipettes or mm-hmm. eyedroppers. You can buy these from Amazon for so cheap. And um my pitcher's not on this on this tray, but normally you'd have a pitcher, so they would pour water into the left container since we read from left to right, so it's training the eye, and they would transfer water from one to the other. So you see that they're literally just squeezing this eyedropper mm-hmm. over and over until all the water is transferred. Um, and you can create interest for children by, you could literally have different colored water. I recommend using organic food dyes because they don't stain, but you can make lightly colored water and switch it out every month. Um, another squeezing skill is, um, trying to find the right item, but I've got, you can really do any type of divided trait, even like a 
ice cube tray, but you'd have, you know, a bowl for objects and you'd have some small tongs and then they would tong the items into, you know, I've seen uh, ice cube trays. And again, you're literally just squeezing the whole time. Um, another thing is I've got this neat, um, what is those, those baby things that they have, uh, the gross nose things. <laughs> oh my gosh. They would they have tongs? a pitcher, snot getter. I don't know. Whatever they yeah. are. They could do this or, yeah, this or like a. Bolt syringe. Turkey. That's what they're called. Yes. yes, 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 yes. So you pour water and you into the left bowl and then you would transfer it from one into the next. And same thing, you know, you could trade, change out the watercolor to, to keep it interesting. Um, you could literally change out your trays to keep it interesting. Um, you could find different containers from thrift stores or um, like those silicone molds. Like maybe you have a bunny shaped one, maybe you have like a Christmas tree shaped one. Um, and then once they get older, like four or five, you could literally have um, like, so instead of this, you could have chopsticks on a tray and they could transfer objects from one to the next with chopsticks. Um, so please like parents, Wow. Please do not have your focus on um, handwriting. Have it be strengthening hands through a variety of topics. And um, for actual handwriting in Montessori, we would start out by simply tracing letters. So they could literally trace a big letter with your finger. And then you could have a box of salt and you could give them a letter and they could trace the letter in the salt. And then they could um, next, uh, you could get some chalk outside or a little chalkboard and they could write letters with the chalk and why we like chalk is because there's so much resistance to it um and it really uses hand muscles to get that chalk across and then eventually you know in Montessori we do write on paper um our letters but again the emphasis is not at a young age it's not on making it uh look a certain way um you know once they once you've worked with your children for a while um and have been working on hand building you could start to introduce the idea of you know, beauty in our handwriting. I talked to my four and a half year olds and my five year olds today about, you know, our handwriting should be beautiful like art. And when somebody sees it, they should say, oh, that's what it is. And they should know what it is. And so we talk about how it's important to keep our hands strong and to keep working um, with that focus whenever we are, you know, writing. So yes, handwriting, but not handwriting for the sake of handwriting. There's like several, several steps and things before you would ever even think about handwriting for the sake of handwriting. Um, I feel like, I was trying to think, I think like those are like, if I was to tell a parent and just like word vomit on them, like what are yeah. some of the things that I see as an educator? I feel like honestly, those are, you know, a lot of the same things. I think that we, a lot of us know, you know, trust your children and let it start even whenever they're toddlers. How could you set up a space so that your child could wash their hands with you next to them, but so that your toddler could wash their hands? Could you get yeah. a step stool? Could you have something down low? How could you make all these things accessible? Literally, like get on your knees and see how accessible things are in your house. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't want to make your whole house accessible, that's fine. But like look in a few rooms and think like, okay, if I'm on my knees and if I can only reach my hand this high, what can I get to? Do I have the things that I need? Mm-hmm. And are the things that I don't need put up high? Because um, we have our shelves next to us. We The top shelves um, are all teacher baskets or um, like some uh, chapter books that I read to my children. So those things are up high because they don't need to have access to those things. And I don't want them to have access to those things. Right. They don't need to have my box of Band-Aids or chapter books. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so yeah, how trust your toddler. Yeah, I love that. Those are such, I, I never would have thought like, like all of those little hand activities. 
I'm like, huh, these are so creative. I need to do all these things for my kids. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, you know, think of a few trays and hit up Dollar Tree, make your list of your items and like go to yeah. Dollar Tree or the thrift store. Like some of these plastic trays um, are actually from Dollar Store and I've, some of them are thrifted, but like, you don't have to spend a lot of money, you know, spend 20 bucks and like, see how far you get. Well, and so much of it is, it's just such practical. It's like, these are just the practical things. Yeah. Um, I love that. So what, like how, what age, like what grade does Montessori typically go through? And then what happens to those kids after that age? Like, when they're funneled into maybe like a more yeah. traditional setting. So Dr. Montessori was kind of like progressive for a time, um, even back then. And it's like, so like even more relevant now that uh, Dr. Montessori, uh, I forget the word, or 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 kindling. And it means um, little environment. So she believes that the ages three to six, it's called The Absorbent Mind. There's a book on it, literally the book on Montessori. And like, it's like literally children are inputting information the whole time. They're little sponges soaking. So like give them a wide variety of activities. And then in the um, elementary age, um, they are sorting fact from fiction. Uh, and then it Montessori actually can go into the middle school and into the high school years. She said, um, stop focusing on tests. Stop focusing on like some type of end goal because it's very limiting to children. Um, and like, we're not just trying to create factory workers here. We're trying to create like well-rounded people. So in the middle school and in the high school level, it looks a lot different. She actually says that they should already know essentially all the skills um, by sixth or seventh grade. Uh, Cause it does start young actually. Like they are literally learning uh, different geometry and algebra at four in a very fun and playful and interesting way. So by the time that they are have reached seventh grade, they've already learned all the skills. And whenever they're in middle school and high school, they have little environments. Um, in Dr. Montessori's time, they were literally responsible for raising, having a whole farm. The children did the farm. So they were learning from different vets about um, the different anatomy of the animals and how it compared to humans, how they would take care of them, how they would uh, then sell the products, how they would market the different products, how they would take care of themselves, uh, what to do whenever there's disagreements. Um, there's a whole lot of math and literacy involved. Uh, Montessori now, a lot of Montessorians, myself included, believe that, yes, you can learn a lot of lessons from the farm, but we're not all farmers anymore uh, because it's not the turn of the century. So we could instead give children other environments like, okay, well, maybe we don't want to have a farm, but like, well, maybe these children are interested in um, cooking. So like, could these children start a temporary restaurant? Uh, like, what is it? Paseo? Fine. There's a school, maybe it's Paseo Fine Arts, where they open like a the children, uh, uh, the youth open a restaurant and it's actually open to the public. Um, so in Montessori, if you are going to a Montessori middle school or high school, it would be an environment to where they're setting up their environment. And then they're also having people from the community that are experts that are teaching the children how to do these things and giving them inspiration to run their environment. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of, there's one, uh, Clay Platt Montessori has an extension called, I think, the Farm School, Casey. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's the middle school, high school. Uh, but a lot of children, you know, don't have that opportunity because, well, it's all the way north of the river and, you know, it's a private school. So I think it's like 10,000 a year or something and they don't go during summertime. Um, 
or maybe they do. Um, so there is that, there is that change, but, um, in a Montessori school that, you know, has teachers that are, uh, you know, that are really having a full bodied program, the teacher should already be referencing the, you know, state standards and we don't follow it to a T like, uh, I, myself and a lot of other teachers more of see it as a range, like, okay, if one year, if we do multiplication of small number, like one digit number, the next year we do two digit numbers, the next year we do three digit numbers, but we also do division of one, two, and three numbers. What if instead of in, in different forms of geometry, what if instead one year we focused on multiplication, one year we focused on division, and one year we focused on geometry? Um, so in that way, the children are able to find their, their focus. Um, but a child should be, even if they are not able to go to the one, uh, middle school, elementary, or middle school, high school, that is Montessori, by the time that they finish sixth grade, because there are, you know, some Montessori, there are some Montessori elementary schools, they should already be caught up at that point. Um, and, um, you know, we see a lot of the trays. And um, in elementary, there's a shift to where, yes, we have the materials. And then we call it abstraction, where they have the materials, but then they quickly realize, actually, I could do this faster I could do my multiplication problem faster if I just had graph paper. And then they're like, oh, well, actually I don't need the lines. I could actually just write this on regular paper and I could just make sure my numbers are lined up. Um, so in Montessori, the children are eventually going into that phase of abstraction where they, their hands and their hearts and their minds have learned how to do their grammar, their algebra, their geometry, all the same things that you've done in um, with the, you know, that you do it in a, in a different school. Um, the Montessori children have learned it with trays and then um, they've learned it first of why it works and then their minds can do it uh, on paper because they've understood the why behind it. Um, so that's kind of what the transition looks like. You see a lot of primary schools, um, which is age is three to six. I think that some people see Montessori just as like a preschool program, which it is a wonderful opportunity. Like if you're looking for, you know, an educational opportunity for your child, like I, yes, absolutely go to Montessori. Uh, is my personal opinion, because it is that whole child peaceful experience. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there are still benefits. Uh, like I finally learned math. <laughs> I finally learned math as a mother and a Montessorian by doing um, these things in the, uh, you know, with the materials in the uh, elementary program. And um, I think it's a very safe environment because Montessori talks a ton about grace and courtesy. So whenever there are inappropriate topics talked about by children, um, in the classroom, um, there's children in the class that are going to be leaders and the teacher's going to be reframing in of how can we be kind and loving and respectful because it's already a really important issue. And like as a as a mother of two of my children are female, like that's a huge concern of mine just because, um, you know, there's like TikTok and there's like texting and just all sorts of things that could potentially open our, especially female children up to, you know, other types of harassment. And so I really like how Montessori and elementary, like that's woven into um, the kindness and the love and the respect so that hopefully those things are happening less often or we are being respectful with the children we're explaining why those things aren't okay um mm. that's why I really love whatever Montessori can continue onwards and also just like the joy of like you're literally learning all the things in elementary that usually takes most people in middle school and high school and then like you could potentially have that freedom of you know if you go to Clay Platt or like you know if you homeschool like you could get an internship. Like if you're into baking, my daughter's into baking. That's why I use the example. You could go to McLean's and you could, um, you know, do an intern, you could try to do an internship at McLean's and then, you know, um, maybe you interview, you know, local, uh, 
local bakery people and see, you know, about how financial is, maybe you make like a business model and like, you've already learned all the skills. So like, now you're actually putting it into play, which, you know, there's that joke of like, why didn't anybody, I know how to do like algebra, but like, I don't know how to do my taxes. And like, I love that Montessori teach you how to do your taxes. Yeah. I mean, it's like the skills are just so much more practical. And it was funny when you said, we're not trying to create factory workers. And I'm like, well, actually, that's what like (laughs) traditional schools were kind of meant to do. And teaching kids to just get answers on tests and, you know, crank out certain level of production, essentially, versus like actually have these skills. And And to actually know it. And yeah, and actually and know it, you know, of, your heart like, and your hands and your minds. Yeah. Instead of just like, I'm just going to learn this for this test. And then literally I'm going to forget it tomorrow because I crammed for it. Um, yeah, I hated that, 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 that aspect of school. I was like, I don't even know this information. Yeah. I just learned it for this test. And so I'm curious, and you might not have a good answer for this because I don't know that there is a super great answer for this, but For the parents that are listening that are like, I love all of this. I love everything that you're saying and all that you're talking about. It makes so much sense. But maybe I can't afford a private Montessori school elementary or maybe I can't go to that one middle school or that one high school. But I want to bring these principles like into my child's education and maybe I can't homeschool. Like my kid has to go to normal public school but I don't want my kid to be a factory worker. I do want my kid to learn. Like, what would you say to the, that yeah. parent? Like, I'm just. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I've heard some people then they make, you know, Montessori, you know, their child goes to school and then they make Montessori, you know, shells. And now it's like, no, like, please do not do that. Please do not come away from this talk and think, oh, my child needs to go to school and then they need to do more school when they're home. No, yeah. Um, I would say, <laughs> I would say not do that uh, because most of the Montessori work happens in the morning. So that is a really draining idea for everyone involved. But I would say, um, you know, there's that quote, it's so overdone, but it's, you know, about following the child. And it is so important and so true because um, you do need to follow your child. Okay, your child is, um, your child's interested in dinosaurs, right? So um, in a Montessori classroom, you might have a lot of works that are catered to that, but we don't want to have works, right? Because they've already been doing schoolwork all day. So follow their interests and then think of how can we do this in a fun way? Like, okay, on the weekend, um, what could we do to further their learning on this? Could we get some books from the library and read about dinosaurs? Um, could we go to Science City and look at those dinosaur bones? Um, for their birthday, could I get them like, uh, you know, one of those fossil excavations? So I would say, you know, follow their interests um, so that in their own time, they're able to explore them in ways that are fun for them that are not, that does not feel like this is a tray-based thing. Uh, but get them things that uh, makes continuing to learn about that topic really interesting and joyful. There's my doggy. Hi, Marley. Okay, let's get your booty out of the way, buddy. Um, and then he like sits right. Marley, go. Um, and next, I would say set your home up for your child to have success. You know, we talked about go around. If you have a baby, look in your lay on your back and see how the room feels and see what's accessible to them. If you have a toddler, go on your knees and see what's accessible to them. If you have a child, get on their level and look around and see how does the space feel like? Is it beautiful? Is it joyful? Is it is it calm? Is it interesting? Um, 
can they access the things like whenever they need to get their backpack down is it on a high hook or could I instead put you know get one of those little um tote things and just put a tote on the ground or in their room um could I uh you know they want to do snaps could I set up a shelf that has like um you know some fruit and some small cutting boards and some uh knives so that's what I would say is you know um follow your child uh see how you can <laughs> you can play into their interests in a way that is is fun and life-giving to them um set your home up for success and um you know encourage your children to persevere in those things and also whenever it gets hard as well as boundary setting because Montessori is you know you have your own trays and you have your own space so help your child use their words to advocate for their own boundaries um especially whenever they're feeling tired of you know hey, maybe we don't do homework right now. Looks like you're tired. Would you like to go to like a snack? Um, encourage them to find their boundaries in their own work time and their play time of how are you feeling right now? You know, mm -hmm. do you need, uh, you know, I saw that you kind of collapsed on the ground. Would you like some water? What do you need right now? Um, but don't bug them too much, you know, let them have that uninterrupted time like I talked about in the normalization uh, moment is uh, find what they're interested in, leave them alone. Let them have their time to build with their trains, to um, you know, play with their dinosaurs, to bake and maybe make some questionable things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's just, I almost feel like I want to have like a whole nother hour of just like parenting skills. Like what are things like, cause it's just like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that pop into my head of just like when this situation happens, like, you know, teaching your kid, and I know everybody has their own different styles and yeah. it's just, it's so interesting to me how, and this isn't Montessori related necessarily, but just, you know, if my kid, for instance, was in a traditional school and not doing well on this, this test that he was made to do, you know, how how I handle that as a parent like it's just I'm thinking about these things already because he's going to be going to kindergarten and it's yeah. just like I don't want him to just be cranked out as a good test taker but also like to some extent you know focus is important and learning is important and yeah. like how well, you, important, know. you know it's yeah. like oh gosh yeah but I mean you know you have them on the weekend so weekend is your time like you know find out what they're interested in find you know bake with them, read to them, um, all those things that, you know, we hear, oh, these things are really good, but absolutely yeah. you know, bake with them, uh, take them for a walk and, you know, ask them what things sound like, what does it feel like? Um, what does spring look like? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? Um, use the time on the weekends in a very like interesting way, because, you know, it's cool. They're getting the things that they need. Right. And the weekends is your time to like ignite their interests. Mm, yeah, that's good advice. And also remember too, like, you know, you are a real person. So like, um, it's not going to do your household or anybody's household good if you are just spending the whole weekend igniting your interests. Like mm -hmm. we can't continue to ignite our child's interest if we are only, you know, spending time igniting their interests. Like a Montessori work cycle is X amount of time. So, you know, mm -hmm. our weekend time shouldn't be, you know, six hours of going down the, you know, doing different things with dinosaurs or with trains or, um, I don't know with ninjas. It kind of goes back to the boundaries of like, yep, 
Absolutely. Well, yeah. You get your time and now it's my time to not be doing this. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Gosh, it's just all so interesting to me. And when I really start to think about it, I overthink like everything when it comes to parenthood. Cause yes, I think it's so easy to do as parents. And you just, I mean, I hear, I listen to a lot of podcasts and so I hear a lot of like life stories and people's like origin stories. And I feel like so many stories are like, well, this is how I was raised, or this is this thing that I brought from childhood that affected my XYZ ability to do XYZ in life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, am I doing the right things? Are my kids? I literally have a panic attack and I'm like, what am I doing? Am I doing okay? Like, no, I'm not. I'm failing. I need to try harder. Like, and that's the, I think the easy thing about being a teacher is, you know, um, I have these children for the daytime and then they go home. Right. And children interact so differently with their teachers than they do with their parents. Um, and I would say that's absolutely true of my own children. Like, um, I always say that I'm really good with getting other people's children interested in what we're doing, but my own children, (laughs) well, I'm glad I'm not the only one because Lord knows I'm like, I will walk in like my sister-in-law. She's been watching my kids and she will get my son to do math and they're doing all these things. And then the second I walk downstairs, like chaos, like everybody starts crying. Everybody needs me. Oh, absolutely. Nobody's different from parent to parent too. What is Yeah. It always, I'm like, I swear to my husband, I'm like, they are different with me. Like, it's not oh, just like you're yeah. better at this. Like you think you're just better at this, but also yes. <laughs> we have uh, there's a few um uh, male toddlers that are around the same age as my son, and you know they just they sit there and they use their forks at at the table, and I'm just like, wow, like do you think our toddler would do this if he was in a setting elsewhere? Like mine, um, and I, I wonder there's across the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like is my toddler the one that needs the plastic fork? <laughs> <laughs> the other ones get the, you know, Montessori uh, silver fork, but my child gets the plastic fork. And I, I wonder, you know, I wonder, like, yeah, they are. They're they're completely different for others. That's so interesting. Well, I just appreciate this conversation so much. And I feel like it, it we could probably have had, like, a whole nother conversation. I mean, I loved, like, the tips that you were bringing in of, like, all the squeezing and all the things. And I'm like, wow, I feel like we could talk for like three more hours yeah. about all the different cool I ideas. I know, right? I feel like that should be another time. Yeah. We'll have one for like practical life, one I for know. sensory, one for like language, one for math, one for like um, gross motor skills, one for fine motor skills. So we'll just yeah. do like six more six more sessions I know. Um, <laughs> down the road because I just, I could talk about it forever. Um, well, I love and I doing just, my little trays. I think so many parents can get so much out of this conversation and also I just want to reiterate again because this you know this is about doing motherhood our way doing parenthood our way and so there is like not only like your business journey and your your story of how like you guys are making it work for your family but just also you know I don't know, just like the practical things in day-to-day yeah. life of like how we can like make it our own. And yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah. So I don't yeah, know I if there's that- anything that you didn't get to say that I didn't ask you about. No, honestly, I think that's, I think that's everyone, you know, I or everything. I would just encourage anybody listening, you know, regardless of what your situation is, if you want to 
you know, enroll in a preschool program or elementary, or maybe you're like, oh God, no, that's not for me, but I like some of these ideas. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent or a work-at-home parent. And you're like, oh yeah, I would love to create like, you know, 10 trays or whatever. Um, I would just encourage you wherever you're at, you know, on the spectrum of interest or, you know, ability or resources um, to, yeah, just really um, find out what your child is interested in and make sure that you're setting them up with materials um, and space and time for them to um, pursue those interests. Cause that is so important um regardless of what you're doing in life um and that's just like I think the best thing that we do for our children is um yeah setting them up for success following their interests and making sure that your home you know has you know things that they can access they can get their own snacks they can wash their hands with supervision they can gosh maybe wash their hair with supervision um do those small things um figure out you know uh Maybe you can't do all the things, but like, what are a few things that you could do in your home? We don't have to spend hundreds of dollars, but like, could you buy a step stool? Could you put a towel bar down low? Um, what are some simple things that you could do to where like you are keeping your own peace and your own intention without going crazy down the Pinterest board or down the, um, mm-hmm. right? you know, uh, I don't know, Google, Google train where you just lost. <laughs> and ultimately when our kids have these skills it really does make our lives easier because now yes 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 I literally save so much time when my children are able to do like the practical life skills of like putting away your laundry folding your things um I mean of course it's at a kid level so younger children are going to have less uh, attention to detail but my nine-year-old like gosh she makes meringues and like cleans up it, it takes four hours for her to do that four whole hours but um what a delightful way for her to spend a Saturday afternoon. Like she wanted to do that. So mm-hmm. as parents, you know, you spend a little bit of money, a little bit of time showing them how to do these things. And yeah, it definitely like pays off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure. Thank you again so much for chatting with me. I know it's late and I know you have like all the resetting and like school tomorrow and everything. So I just appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation yeah, well, thanks for having me. It was, um, I could talk about it forever. So it's been a joy. So thanks for having me. And hopefully um, parents or educators, or adults who are listening are feeling inspired to, you know, invite some of those principles and philosophies yeah. into their home. I think people definitely will. <laughs> so thank you so much. And yeah. we will chat soon. And I will get this posted and... If there's any links that you yeah. want me to share, um, obviously a lot of people listening are not necessarily in the Brookside area. And I know you guys are probably at capacity at this point, but like yeah. sharing your own school and, um, you know, any other resources that you find helpful, I can always add on. Yeah, so. that'd be great. Yeah. For anybody listening that is local to, uh, the Kansas City, Missouri area. Um, our little school is Brookside Montessori. We are pretty much at capacity. Well, we are at capacity now and pretty much when we're licensed, um, but we're always happy to do a tour if anybody's interested um, and we can get you on the wait list. And um, I'm sure I have some resources, more resources to send your way, Taylor, about, um, you know, just other Montessori principles. And I have a few other um, talks in the Kansas City area. So maybe I could link those uh, yeah. whenever I have them. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.